um, I received a gift of a lovely pumpkin spice mug. And I don't have a picture of it for you, but it was, everybody knows I like pumpkin spice things. And so somebody gifted me this nice little ceramic mug that I was like, oh, that's so nice. I can't wait to use it and everything. Well, I had put it in my uh, kitchen and um, it was Sunday night, just like I said, just a couple weeks ago. I was in the living room, getting ready for the week, getting things, uh, got a phone call from some family and was on the phone. And all of a sudden in the middle of my phone call, I hear crash, boom, bang. It's the only sound of one thing, a coffee mug shattered on the floor. And I walked into the kitchen and looked and um, looked around the corner. And how could this have happened? And sure enough, there was a coffee mug lying in pieces on the floor. And the culprit was none other than, go ahead, Nate, hit that, Oliver the cat. I don't know if you have a cat, they just love it, right? They push things off just to, and then they look and they're like, you coming now? You coming? Right? Right? Maybe your dog does the same thing. I know some people have dogs that like to get attention that way. Um, so this is all over the cat. Um, notice I have nothing, none of my pictures in that um, shelf there. They cannot be standing up because he will knock them off and they all have broken glass. So what we do is just put them down. So, um, but anyway, uh, all over the cat is interesting because... Um, he understood this very, very important concept that we're gonna talk about today. And the thing that he was testing or testing me with was the power of gravity. Oliver knows the power of gravity, that if you push something off a shelf, it will fall to the ground and it will break into a thousand pieces. And when it comes to gravity, um, the concept itself, uh, you know, gravity itself was not invented, but you want to say the concept was discovered um, by, does anybody know who uh, the legend goes, discovered gravity? Sir Isaac Newton. We have a picture of him, very stylish hair, kind of like the curl is going on very well. And the story goes, in 1665, he was a student, and this is really interesting. So there was a plague going on in 1665, and guess what? Everybody had to go to virtual school. I'm serious. Like, not like we have, but everybody was sent home from school, and you were told, and you were given, like, books that you had to read at home. So there's, like, nothing new here, right? There's all that stuff. So he was, like, during quarantine time, under lockdown, when he couldn't be at school, he was legendary, sitting underneath the tree, and the story goes, something fell, and an apple fell from the tree, and he was pondering this concept, and so discovered this idea of gravity. Well, we kind of know gravity in, uh, in our own lives, but I thought I would also share with you the scientific definition of gravity. Are you ready for it? I'm gonna to try to read this as fast as I can, ready? Gravity is a fundamental physical force that's responsible for interactions which occur because of mass between particles, between aggregations of matter such as stars and planets, and between particles such as photons and aggregations of matter that is 10 to the negative 39th times the strength of the strong force and that extends over infinite distances but is dominant over macroscopic distances, especially between aggregations of matter. Whew, right? Did everybody get that? Right? Okay, we're going to be dismissed now. No, that's okay. But, but, but in general, so if you're like, I have no idea what she just said, what we do know is gravity does what? Causes things to fall. Oh, that was, that was really bad. Um, <laughs> we could have knocked all our communion over. But gravity causes things to fall, right? 
It causes things, it pulls things down. In our experience, it pulls things down. So no matter what height I drop this from up here, that was gonna throw, if I drop it from up here, it's gonna fall, right? There's no way I can get this to hover in the air. So gravity pulls us down. And the truth is, just as Oliver discovered, gravity makes things messier, doesn't it? Gravity makes things messier. And every object has gravity. Every object does, and that includes us. And in a sense, you have gravity too. Uh, and isn't it true, right, when it comes to our personal type gravity, uh, we gravitate towards certain types of people. We gravitate towards certain feelings certain ways of solving discomfort or pleasing others. We gravitate towards what makes us feel valued and cared about. We gravitate towards certain behaviors or ways of making ourselves feel better. And the church too, and this is the big C church I'm talking about, the worldwide church as well as local churches, but church too also gravitates towards things like what we know, what's comfortable, what we're used to, what makes people happy, happy, sometimes cultural values, trying to stay neat and tidy. But the thing about gravity is, is, is that it also pulls us back. It pulls us back. It pulls us back to places and things and often makes a mess in the long run. And so we're in week two of this series, Messy Church, and um, we're discovering, we're walking through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church found in uh, the First Corinthians, which is in the New Testament scriptures. It's part of Paul's letters. Um, if you flip through, you see the Gospels, and you go into the Acts, and then eventually you get into the letters. And this is one of them. And, and this letter of First, First Corinthians was written only about 20 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. So this is like not a long time, right? 20 years. And the Apostle Paul is the one who's the author. He is the one who actually started or planted the church here in Corinth, in the city of Corinth. And Paul has this very messy history himself. We talked about that last week, about how he was assigned a, a to go and to seek out Christians. He was a Jewish man, and part of his job was to go and to arrest people for following Jesus and throw them in prison. But then he, had a, he was literally knocked off his horse and came to Jesus, and he was turned around. And he became a, the greatest proponent, the greatest church planter there ever was. So he planted the church in Corinth. And about 18 months later, so a year and a half later, he left. He left them. And that's what he usually did. He kind of planted a church in a, in a city. He brought people to Christ. And then he moved on. And he kind of left them where they were. Well, when he's in another journey, on another journey in the, the city of Ephesus, he receives word that things were going awry in Corinth, that things weren't going well. And probably through another letter that he received, as well as some oral communication, he recognized that he needed to address the mess, right? And last week we talked about the importance of that, because we can go on for years and years and years and not address our messes. 
But Paul decided that he was going to confront that right then and there. And so he wrote the letter of what we have, 1 Corinthians. It's actually the second letter. We don't have the first one. We don't really. Uh, there's actually four letters total. We only have two of them. But it's a, this letter that he wrote to address the mess. And last week, at the beginning of his letter, we discovered the really the foundational idea, the foundational problem that was taking place. And the foundational problem was what? Anybody that remembers that? What was the biggest problem going on? Division, yeah, division. And, and, and so it was, it was a divided church. Imagine that, right? Like the things that happened 2,000 years ago, you know, the things don't happen that way today, do they? A divided church, a divided church. And so this week, this week Paul goes on in his letter and we're gonna look at how he addresses the gravity that's pulling them back. The gravity that's pulling them back to a place that they were before they came to faith in Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you all today as we start out, and this is also printed in your worship guide too, um, that's for you to follow along as we go on here or look back on. The question I want to ask you is what thoughts, patterns, or behaviors are you being pulled back into? What thoughts, patterns, behaviors are you being pulled back into? And the second question I think is equally as important as the first. Do you care? Do you care? Because that's the starting point that we're going to look at today in Paul's letter. Because what we discover is there will always be gravity. There's always going to be gravity. And there's always going to be gravity, and we see this in the first part of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians, towards what is strong and powerful. This is what Paul indicates in this part of the passage. There's always going to be a gravity for us towards what's strong and powerful. We're always going to be drawn to those things. And he says this, starting off in verse 1. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in what? Weakness. Weakness. With great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So there's always going to be gravity towards what's strong and powerful or looks strong and powerful. So Paul is really opening up here. He's a kind of like terse guy, like he, he kind of, he's confronting things, but he's kind of opening up here a little bit about himself. He's identified division as being the foundational problem and he emphasizes how the church needs to be unified. That's what he did in chapter one. But now he's calling on them to remember the early days when he came to them first, when the first church first started. You know, many of us even here at Table Life Church, we have relatives, family members, we, some of us even that can remember back to the times when the, first, when the church first started. And that's what he's telling them to do is, is to remember. But we have to realize too is that in the ancient world, and especially in Corinth, we related to this last week as well, was that there was a great pastime that most people had, and it was not streaming Netflix or your favorite shows. What people did instead of that was listen to people speak. They had great speakers called rhetoric. 
It was a great pastime. You have speakers that would come in. You almost think like on a college campus. You have this guy and that person, and, and these people are going to come. You have a big crowd around them. And so people didn't watch shows. They watched people. And the speakers, the speakers were known for their eloquence and how they would create arguments and their mastery of language and the big words that they would throw out there and communicate and everyone would go ooh and ah and hmm and all that. And think of, think of your favorite politician, if you have one, merged with your favorite rapper. Maybe you don't have either, I don't know. But imagine a politician merged with a rapper. You know, think like if you've seen the musical Hamilton. Like politician and rapper merged together, like just the eloquence of that, being enthralled by the language that was taking place. Amazing words and speeches, convincing, almost like an art form too. And plus, it was very entertaining to look around, do the people watching, see who is going, hmm, and on, who is frowny-faced, right? And so we too, that, that was the most important thing, was this eloquence and a power, and strength, and presence. And that's what the Corinthians were so much used to. And I think we too can often be pulled into similar cultural values. In church even, we, we can look at performance rather than worship. We can look at being entertained and being pleased as opposed to worshiping God. We can decide to keep people happy rather than growing them. We can strive for perfection rather than embracing vulnerability. But see, with, and even in the midst of this gravity, though, being pulled towards what looks strong and, 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 and looks perfect, Christ offers something different. Christ offers a new view of strength and a source of power. He offers something different. Because what does Paul say? Does he say, I came in and I had all the right things to say. You know, I convinced you all. I was the best. I... No, what he says, he said, I wasn't there to impress anybody. If anything, he, can, he admits, he says, I'm not a good speaker at all. And, and so history actually shows us that. He probably wasn't a good speaker. While he was writing these, he was probably also writing these letters with a team of people too. And so Paul was not an eloquent speaker. He was probably a pretty bad one. And it stated that isn't the number one fear of Americans is stated to be public speaking? Do you know what number two is? Death. So we'd rather... Um, We'd rather die than speak in front of people, I guess, something like that. But, but isn't that true that, that, that Paul, though, Paul isn't saying he's afraid of public speaking, but he's just not good at it. But he's saying people came to Christ not because of his gifts, not because how great he was or the words that he shared. He was powerful because of something more, something more. And that was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit's power. That was the Holy Spirit, that, that God was working through him to communicate his message. It wasn't because of, of what he said or what he didn't say. And doesn't that, doesn't that give you some grace here, right? For all of us, like we don't have to have everything right to say because, friends, you can't argue anybody into faith. You can't use the right words. You can't come up with the right arguments. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But then he also confesses what? He says, I'm weak. I have a weakness, right? I have a weakness. That's one of his weaknesses that he confesses. 
And I think that confirms to us that Christ offers that new view of strength and source of power, meaning that as the church, we can be weak. We can express our weaknesses. And even in worship, that if you need to cry, you cry. If you need to express joy, then you express joy. If you need to express sorrow, like that's what we're here for. It's not like, oh my gosh, he's crying. Like, why is this going on? Like, no, that's strength. He's saying here, that's strength to show your weakness. And some of us have more of a problem with that than others. To say, you know, I can't cry, I need to be strong. Well, maybe your tears are actually a form of strength because as the church, we can show our imperfections and weaknesses. That's a part of our strength. And that's showing the Holy Spirit's power. That's the power here. And I love uh, this quote from Martin Luther. It's also attributed to like a whole myriad of other people. But Martin Luther said this, he said, we're all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. We're all of us. One is not above the other and it's through our weaknesses that we can allow God to be strong. We can allow the Holy Spirit's work. And so Christ, he flips all societal expectations on its head. The Corinthians, they're like, well, we want power and eloquence and and all that. And Paul's saying, I'm none of these guys, but yet you still came to faith. Why? Why? What was the power of the Spirit? Jesus flips all that on its head. And so he's saying, we need to be aware, though, that we're always going to be drawn to what looks strong and what looks powerful and who looks strong and powerful. And because of that, we have to pay attention but he also shows us that there's a second gravity that we need to be aware of. And that's towards knowing rather than being. That as Christians, he's talking to Christians here. So if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, you can listen on this and kind of go, hmm, that's interesting, right? But he's saying that, that we need to be aware of our gravity towards knowing rather than being. And so verses 6 to 10, through 10 continue. We do, however, he says, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it's written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. And and so so we see this, that we're going to be, we gravitate, human beings gravitate towards knowing rather than being. And this also goes for Christians. And, And we can't miss what Paul is saying here. Because the beginning of this part where he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. You know what he's doing there? He's being sarcastic. He's offering what I call a backhanded slap here to these folks. He's saying, well, he's saying, when I'm with mature people, I can share great wisdom, but you're really not mature, right? Sarcasm. He has a lot of that dripped throughout this letter. And I think it might have taken people, the people that are listening to this being read. This is in the context of the church gathering. The whole letter would have been read aloud to the people here. That it might have taken people a second to realize that they're not mature believers. That what he's saying is here, you're not mature. And so I haven't shared with this with you because you're not ready for it. That you're thinking you're mature, you're arrogant in that way, but you're not ready. They're acting like know-it-alls. 
They're acting like experts. And they didn't even have the internet. They didn't have any of that. But they think they were, they were arrogant because they thought that they knew everything that they needed to about Jesus. You know, that, okay, he died, he's resurrected, I believe that, that's all good, right? Well, a couple weeks ago, I was shopping um, in Aldi, and you know, you do a little quarter thing at Aldi, you put the little quarter and get your cart out, and I was walking around the store, loading up my groceries into my cart, and, um, and sometimes when it's crowded, I don't know if you do this, but I'll like leave my cart in one area and be like, oh, I just need to go down that aisle to like pick up one little thing instead of like pushing the cart through and navigating everybody. So I left my cart on this side, went to go pick up this item, and <clears throat> walked back to my cart and was putting it in the cart and this lady turned to me and says, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, I just got some Snapple, right? I'm just putting that in my cart here and like look at her, like start pulling the cart away. She's like, she like looked at me and I'm like, well, what, this, this is my cart. And she's like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. And I looked down and sure enough, it was the wrong cart, <laughs> right? I had the right content, but the wrong cart. The right content, but the wrong cart. So stay with me here. So the Corinthians, they placed themselves in the wrong category even though they had the right content and starting point. They placed themselves in the wrong cart. They still needed to grow up. That it wasn't a be-all, end-all here. See, wisdom, wisdom is not just about intellectual information. It's not just about intellectual information, about knowing things. And, and in church, we can get caught up in this. The more I know and read and study in the classes I attend, uh, it's wisdom, true wisdom is not just about intellectual information. And so um, I'm gonna put her on the spot here, but Maddie, would you take out your phone real quick? Maddie's one of our teens. Can you Google how to drive? Can you Google that? Okay, and just like take a, just a, a couple seconds there and just like read that. I'm sure there's like wiki how, sometimes that pops up as like the first thing, how to drive. Okay, you're gonna go through, just read through that really quickly just in, in your head. You don't have to read it aloud, okay. Okay, now Ben, Ben is her dad. Um, can you give her the keys? She's ready to drive. There you go, just hand them over. Yes, why not? Why not? She's not ready, but she knows it, right? She read it on the internet. That's the first start, right? Yeah, but, but, but think about this. Like, don't we do that all the time? It's like the more I read, the more I know, the more I know, the more I know but we missed the whole point. That's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. Like, I mean, Maddie, I love you and all, but like, I'd be praying the whole time if I put you behind that wheel. Like, you know, at least at this point, you know, you'll get, you'll get there. But, but the thing is, that's what we do. Wisdom is not about that. And so he's saying here, even those most educated and in high authority, they missed it. They thought that they were done. They were not. And I think we would say the same thing. Today, a lack of information is not our problem. See, knowledge and information can often give us a false sense that we've done something or that we're closer to someone. Many a theology professor and even church attender who, who emphasize the informational aspect without the formational and transformational aspect of following Jesus. Because it's far easier, you and I know, it's far easier to read an article than to grow in relationship with the person. It's far easier to know something 
rather than to do something, or dare I say, become something. But Christ, see what Paul's getting out here is Christ offers a new way of wisdom, is what he's pointing out to be. A way to be, a way to be to become. And one very common misconception is that the Christian life is all about avoiding messes and knowing things. But that's not true. If you dumb Christianity down to being about avoiding trouble and, and then getting forgiven for it, then your faith is just a roller coaster of making a mess and then being forgiven. See, following Christ is not about avoiding something, it's about becoming something. It's about living into the calling, into what you were created to do and be as, as the men and women of God. And that's a real difference between just knowing and being or becoming. But we have to realize that we have that gravity. You and I have that gravity towards knowing rather than being. But then in the last part of this, this section in chapter two, uh, Paul concludes with emphasizing how there also be a gravity towards seeing what we want. Towards seeing what we want. And he says this, he says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. This person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them as foolishness and can't understand them because they've discerned only through the Spirit. This person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, friends, gravity will always be to see what we want. Instead of listening to the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit's work is doing, and, and you know this, that the Bible itself can become a weapon, it can become a weapon, you can take any verse and you can kind of twist it and turn it and try to support what your arguments are. I call it versitis. We have versitis. We take little verses and, you know, for good or bad or ugly. And it could be whatever agenda that you have. You can use that. But we notice here, there's three persons, there's three people that are indicated in these verses. The Holy Spirit, the spiritual person, and the unspiritual person. So first, the Holy Spirit. Jesus left his disciples, left all that follow him and love him. Uh, he left his disciples, but he gifted us with a greater presence, known as the Holy Spirit. Also known as the helper or the advocate. And through that, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, that in every believer dwells the Holy Spirit, Christ offers a new sense of sight. That instead of seeing what we want, we begin to see things differently. And only through the Spirit's presence can we see the real truth of God, as well as ourselves, reflect on ourselves. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe you've had a life change and maybe you've decided to follow Jesus. And isn't it true that you start seeing things differently? You start reading scripture differently. Things stand out to you maybe that never before. Not to say you have everything together. 
And, and if we truly believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that, that demands a response on our part. See, when I first moved to Pennsylvania about a little uh, under a year and a half ago, um, I was driving on 80, I-83 the first time and um, I got off and I was here at the church for a little while when, I, when we were, I was kind of like in the interview process. And I remember my first time getting back onto I-83 from New Cumberland. I don't know if, you, if you've lived here a long time, you don't think about it, but anybody that's ever moved here, you notice that there's a yield sign. But what does it really mean to yield, right? It means to pray and to look and to stop when the tractor trailer is coming. Because uh, you could put that, that picture up there, Nate. It's kind of like that, right? Like sometimes yield means stop. <laughs> Sometimes yield means holy cow, right? Sometimes yield means why is this person not getting over? Or in our table group, you lay on that horn. We've had a little confession time about that in our table group this past week, right? But, but it's about yielding. And, and the question is, though, when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our lives, the question is not whether the Holy Spirit's there, but the question is, have you yielded? Have you yielded towards the things that, that you didn't want to see that you see now? that have been revealed. Even immature believers in Corinth, they had received the Spirit. Paul is acknowledging that, that even though they're messy and there's all these things going on, he's still affirming the legitimacy of, of their belief. But he's saying you have received the Spirit by placing your trust in Christ. And you can connect with God and understand the foundational truths in Scripture, but they've not yielded themselves to the Spirit. See, friends, the Holy Spirit is here. And many times we say things like, I hope God shows up today, right? He is. The question is, are you? Are you? But then he goes on and talks about the unspiritual person, the Holy Spirit, spiritual person, and the unspiritual person, the person who doesn't get it, who sees only through regular eyes, who thinks that, okay, followers of Jesus, they're kind of whacked, right? But Paul, what he's doing here, he's also cautioning those of us that follow Jesus to understand and get to know how people feel who are not believers. That, that we can't judge that, right? We can't judge, okay, they can't see what we can see. Like, to put the same values on that makes no sense. And then he goes on in the last part, verses 15 to 16. And I don't think, um, by the way, any English translation does this justice on its emphasis. Um, a lot of times people take these verses, we have them on the screen there, to say that, you know, the person with the spirit, they make judgments, but you're not subject to being judged by anybody else if you're a follower here. What this does not mean is that believers can judge others, but they themselves are beyond judgment or evaluation. You know what that's called? Hiding behind God, hiding behind God. It's like a friend of mine, he tells a story when he was about five years old, he was visiting some family and um, he was kind of a, a troublemaker and, at the time. And so he decided that he was gonna go down into the basement and um, well, he decided to relieve himself in the corner of the basement because he didn't wanna be there with his family and his mom came downstairs and said, what are you doing? And she looked and said, oh my gosh, what did you just do? And he like looked at her and he said, you know what he said? Jesus made me do it. <laughs> Smart, right? 
And he did not get any punishment because his mom could not stop laughing at the point. But, but isn't like hiding behind God, right? You know, it's easy to say the devil made me do it, but Jesus made me do it. Jesus made me do it. You know, do we ever justify wrong behavior or motives by hiding behind God? See, Paul is saying that the spirit evaluates all things but cannot be evaluated. And we need to be cautious because if we do encounter someone with the attitude to say, I am so filled with the Holy Spirit that I'm beyond discipline or counsel, then they're filled with something that begins with an S and ends in a T but is not spirit. Yes, you can use that. But, but also notice something else that's very important here. It's in this section, Paul switches from this singular I to we. He goes from I to we. He starts that in verse 6, but at the end of 16, he says, we have the mind of Christ. Remember that. The Holy Spirit speaks to us in community, not just singularly, but community. And it's important to know that that's confirmed and affirmed through community. And when God, when, or when someone thinks that God only speaks to them and they say, you need to listen to me because of that, you know what? That's how you end up on a compound drinking Kool-Aid. You have to be very careful, very careful because we, the church, have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit validates and confirms things to us in community. We see that together. That's why here at this church, it isn't just Pastor Chris, right? We have a church board that's elected by you. And then we have congregation members. We have a membership that also has a say in that. And we have attenders too. And that's why we work together in all this. And so if someone comes to you and says, I have a word for you, then we need to watch that because the spirit will verify it and it will resonate only when it's confirmed by others. We need accountability and confirmation. And so kind of wrapping this all up together, right? The gravity, we need to be aware of the things that we're pulled towards. And maybe you have things that are not on this list. And we all know though, that gravity makes things messier. Gravity makes things messier, but you don't have to get pulled back. You don't have to be pulled back. So back to my first question, what thoughts, patterns, behaviors, are you being pulled back into? Do you care? And I would add that plurally. What thoughts, patterns, behaviors are we collectively as Table Life Church? What are we often pulled back into? Do we care? Because maybe it's time to yield to Christ for our strength and power, to be free to express our weakness, to lean into his wisdom and his sense of sight, to know that the Holy Spirit is here to guide us, and that Jesus loves you. He, he loves us, even if we're a mess. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. Let's pray.